Welcome to DeFi by Design, where we talk all things blockchain and cryptocurrency, while striving to educate, empower, and enrich. Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast brought to you by The Rollup, a media and education company that provides high-quality, actionable insights and information on all things Layer 2s, Rollups, DeFi, scaling solutions, new protocols, juicy alpha, and insightful research. We're excited to share with you the latest trends and development in the DeFi space so you can stay informed and ahead of the curve. Without further ado, we will jump right into this episode with a brief update on some of our current sponsors. Buffer Finance is a non-custodial, exotic options trading platform built to trade short-term price volatility and hedge risk of high leverage positions. They are a leader in the arbitrum charge taking over on layer twos and totally understand the potential of blockchain technology and how it's transforming the finance industry. They are proud to support DeFi by design. If you're looking for a platform to trade short-term options, look no further than Buffer Finance. With their innovative tech, easy to use platform, they're at the forefront of the options tech in Arbitrum. Visit their website, buffer.finance, and take a look at all their options. ZKX is a leader in the decentralized derivative DEX market on StarkNet. StarkNet is a cutting edge technology built to help scale Ethereum using ZK rollups. They understand the potential of scaling, blockchain tech, and how it's going to change the world of leverage trading. ZKX protocol is happy to be on testnet and will be on mainnet very shortly. Check out ZKX protocol on Twitter, as well as on Crew3 to get more information about what's going on on StarkNet. This episode of DeFi by Design is presented by Union. Union Labs was founded with a vision to create trustless infrastructure. The mission is to bring zero-knowledge proofs to various ecosystems and ensure a fair market for generating ZK proofs. While building in stealth, Union has developed the Union testnet and successfully established an IBC connection between this testnet and Ethereum. Union will bring assets natively to any blockchain and enable account abstraction with interchain queries. This setup is not a dummy or hacky one. It includes a full IBC stack, light clients with membership proofs, header verification using ZK proofs, a stateless relayer, and zero knowledge provers. Get answers to all your ZK questions on Union's website, union.build, and DM at union underscore build on X. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back. Episode 109, Rob. DeFi by design. What's going on, guys? We got Matt here from Caldera. Rob, GM. GM. Yeah, this is uh, this is another pod uh, today, episode 109. Uh, pretty wild. We're on episode 109 because if you would have asked me two years ago, three years ago, if uh, DeFi was still going to be alive in two, three years, I don't know. Probably depend on the market conditions at the time. Uh, uh, I'd have said yeah. <laughs> the party must yeah. be gone. No, I'm kidding. We'll just edit that part out. <laughs> Matt, yeah, Matt, so, good to have you on. Yeah, super great to be here. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Matt, we can we can uh, get into it. Uh, we like to have fun, keep it conversational and casual on the podcast here, and then also talk about some high level concepts that can provide our audience some alpha. So. Um, let's, let's talk about yourself first and maybe that's a great place to start. Uh, so before we dive into Caldera, uh, maybe you could tell us a bit about your background and how you got, you got started in the space. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, first of all, great to be here. Um, yeah, my, my, my journey into the space, uh, it actually happened quite a while ago. I'm, I'm like, I was like weirdly a crypto OG though. I don't have like the net worth to show for it. So like when I was in middle school, I was like really active on like online hacking forums and like script kitty, you know, type of stuff, a little bit of like, you know, just like general software development. And like from somewhere, you know, on those forums, like discovered Bitcoin at around like 2011, 2012, I was, I was, you know, like 12 at, at the time. Um, it was like, you know, it was so different from now. Like I would, I would be like begging my mom to like send money orders to like Russia to let me buy Bitcoin. She obviously would not do that. Um, but I eventually was able to like earn some Bitcoin through like online development work. And that was like my first foray into the space. Um, ended up uh, uh, buying some Bitcoin when like the first ATM opened up in my hometown uh, and then lost all of that Bitcoin in Mt. Gox. That was like my first full cycle of crypto experience. Um, post that, uh, you know, kind of gave up on crypto for a little while, stuck with the software development, 
of just doing a lot of like miscellaneous work throughout high school. Uh, ended up at Stanford where I studied computer science uh, with a focus on like distributed systems, operating systems, and a little bit of cryptography. And of course, when you're studying those three things, you kind of end up back in the crypto space. And so that's how, uh, you know, that, that's what eventually led to me to kind of like rejoining the space, uh, meeting up with some cool, cool people here, realizing a lot of the really cool things happening at the application layer, realizing that scaling is going to be needed to allow those applications to thrive. And then that's what led to us finding a scaling company in Caldera. Nice. Yeah. Rob did his degrees in uh, math and philosophy. And earlier mm -hmm. today, we had a, a, a presentation on batch proofs uh, as far as ZK provers go. And um, Rob was happy guy. He was a I happy was, man. It felt good to be back in math class for a little bit. I was like, I was like picking up on concepts that were um, like probably beyond my understanding now. And maybe I could understand when I was taking those classes. So uh, it's cool to see like the concepts you learn about at like such a, like an analytical, mm -hmm. not just an analytical level, but like you, you've taken plenty of high level math classes, right? So like you understand when someone asks, like, when are we going to use this in real life? That mm -hmm. never really goes away throughout like your entire like math curriculum, whether it's like eighth grade algebra or it's like, like university combinatorics, you're always kind of asking like, when are we going to use this in real life? So to see that, that math in ZK proofs actually written out by someone doing it by hand was really cool. Like to design a Merkle tree and like set up some of these proofs was, was really cool to see in action. So, you know, we, we kind of, we take a few different perspectives when it comes to looking at the crypto space. Like what is something that you're most interested in, whether it's, you know, the problem that you're trying to solve the scalability problem with Caldera or generally like where, where have you seen the most application of your, your education in cryptography and distributed systems? Where have you seen that most directly applied? Yeah, I think in terms of my educational background, um, definitely kind of what we're working on right now, the scaling space. It's, it's kind of funny because I would say like rollups are in some sense like the web twoification of web three or like harmonizing the lessons we've learned in web two and applying them to web three. I mean, the whole point of a rollup is like you're taking all this computation and storage and you're doing it, you're moving that all off chain, which means you're doing it in a web two way for efficiency purposes. And then you're figuring out how under that paradigm to like get the security benefits of web three and still transfer them on, onto the, those new processes. So. Um, definitely like what we're doing right now feels like a good combination of like the stuff I worked on at my previous roles, which were all like web two or web 2.5, uh, and like what I studied in, in college and, and, you know, web three things in terms of like applications that I'm really excited about. Um, I think we're finally seeing that scaling is no longer going to be the bottleneck for a lot of really great applications. Uh, thanks to the work that like we're doing and other folks in the modular blockchain space are doing. Um, so like earlier today, I was actually just. Uh, on a Twitter spaces with some folks building in like the on-chain gaming sector. That's that's a sector I'm super bullish on. Basically, how do we put like entire video games all in smart contracts, all on chain, so that like they actually work in a completely decentralized manner where people are going to be able to like develop new clients and develop smart contracts on top of those games. And we're going to see games become a, a lot more like uh, like protocols versus like you know monolithic pieces of software. Um, and so enabling those types of use cases is, is also something I'm super excited about. Yeah, our buddy from uh, ZK Sync, Alex, our buddy, the the co-founder of Matter Labs. He uh, he was saying that basically he thinks ZK in his general rollups. He's a little bit you know very very ZK focused, but I think optimistic as well. They just enable new innovation and application. And this, I mean, we've just been dreaming about this in 2020, um, even in 2017, like just when there was not much on chain during those two kind of adoption cycles or however you want to call them. So yeah, I, I, we align with that at the rollup and frankly, we are super interested in like educating our community on, um, these terms. Like I have decentralized sequencer maxi in my bio, like hmm. in what world is that English Matt? So let's talk about, um, the decentralization and the centralization of sequencers and kind of where we're at. So we had a podcast earlier with Matt Cutler from block native. He told us a lot about like kind of, you know, different pros and cons to different designs in, in Ethereum. I'll just leave it at that because that one's great. You guys should all go watch that. But we got the sequencers and basically we talked about the pros and cons of 
of um, you know having a, a centralized sequencer and a, a decentralized one and just what that means. So um, I know that was a lot, but what kind of is the is the uh, trade-offs and the state of a roll-up sequencer as we know it um, and kind of where do you guys fit in there? Yeah, so this is of course very topical because we just last week we announced the first optimistic rollup that is working with the decentralized sequencer network. Uh, we we built that with Espresso, who's working on their own decentralized sequencer network. I think they're the best team in that space, but there are of course um, a bunch of others. Um, so on the topic of like rollups today, every rollup today is centrally sequenced, uh, which means that when you as a user send a transaction uh, to that rollup, you send a transaction to like their server. Their server will order um, all the transactions and that server will produce blocks and eventually submit those blocks to Ethereum mainnet or wherever the rollup is settling to. Um, and so this is like, this generally works um, and it's pretty secure. Uh, so like these rollups, they still, if, as long as they have like working proof systems, whether that's an optimistic proof scheme or a ZK proof scheme, like they can't steal funds. They can't, you know, arbitrarily change the, the state of the rollup. They can't really act maliciously in most ways. Um, and so that's why like we've been able to, with all the centrally sequenced rollups that we have right now, we've been able to still secure billions of dollars of value. That being said, when you are centrally sequenced, there are a few ways that that sequencer can act maliciously. The first way is uh, through censorship. So the rollup gets to decide then what transactions are included in, in which blocks and the ordering of those transactions. That means that that sequencer can then uh, theoretically prevent a certain user from submitting transactions to the chain. Oftentimes, a lot of the good rollup uh, designs will have some way to bypass this, but that will often take, you know, on the order of like a day or, or so, 24 hours, 12 hours, in order to force trend, uh, the inclusion of a transaction in the rollup. So like Arbitrum uh, will do this, I think Optimism will do this. So there's a way to get around complete censorship, but the centrally sequenced rollups could theoretically delay your transactions and ruin your user experience if they wanted to censor you. The second thing uh, with centralized sequencers is that you as the user don't have any visibility into the rollups mempool and how they're ordering transactions. And in fact, you can't. There's not really a way for them to prove that they're ordering transactions honestly, because you don't know like when those transactions are kind of actually coming into the sequencer via the network, right? You might have different latencies, et cetera. Um, so the sequencer, you know, the extent to which those teams can promise things are like, you know, marketing and saying, you know, oh, we promise to order these transactions fairly, but they themselves, even if those teams want to, and I think they do want to, can't prove that they're ordering uh, transactions fairly. And so that means that there's a lot of MEV that those, uh, that those sequencers could extract um, if they wanted to. And so like some teams like Optimism actually had it in their original design, they would extract those that MEV and return it to users and use it to fund public goods. I think they've since uh, deviated from that position. Um, but it is like a, there's actually like a ton of MEV that those rollups can extract. Um, and so that motivates the moving to a decentralized sequencer where instead of this mempool and all this ordering happening on a server in a centralized way, people, folks, just like how they would in like Ethereum or Polygon proof of stake, other, you know, Bitcoin, other top networks, like they would just submit their transactions to these, uh, decentralized sequencer networks. And, and then they're able to have more faith that that network is ordering the, those transactions in a decentralized way. No single entity has control over the ordering of all the transactions on the network. Um, and then the, the rollup node will then pull all that, that ordering from the decentralized sequencer network rather than uh, being relied upon to order those transactions themselves. So you remove the, you know, uh, the, you, the fear of like censorship and you also decrease the amount of MEV that the sequencer can, uh, can extract from the chain. Yeah, that's what um, that's what that's what Matt was saying. Rob, it was all about the MEV because when you know it, it comes down to the economic uh, viability of this you know situation in terms of security and profitability, totally. and kind of MEV is is very uh, a dominant factor. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because we we saw that play out. Like we we saw the MEV ecosystem flourish, and then all of a sudden people, people raced in to be part of that competition um, and share, share in that economic value. And then we saw solutions come up. Uh, we saw MEV boost, right? Where that was an attempt to decentralize MEV a bit with auctions, I believe. And now 
we're increasingly seeing like more decentralization in those economic systems. And this, this brings me to the narrative, the other narrative that, that we're seeing in, in lots of Twitter bios, which is modular systems, because as we kind of like start to unpack the stacks of these rollups, like Ethereum made a transition from, from proof of work to proof of stake. And part of that came the separation of proposers and builders. And then with layer twos, we're starting to see almost like those come back together with the sequencers and the bundlers. Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to unpack those again by decentralizing sequencers from, from a centralized sequencer. So, so my question is why, why is, why are these, why is decentralization so important in this world of modular, modular rollups and modular chains? Why is decentralized sequencers, how, how does that help to kind of like set up this decentralized network of chains and rollups so that we're not, we're not siphoning off economic value from one another, but we're more so taking part in this collective economic machine. Totally. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and, and I think it's really insightful to talk about like bundling and unbundling. People talk about that in like the Web2 startup space as well, right? Like you either make money by bundling services together or by unbundling services that were previously bundled. Uh, and I think in, in Web3, um, we we do see like similar trends. Uh, so like, as you mentioned, like we we did have a paradigm where a lot of rare, where like sequencing was decentralized. We, we still do, right? Ethereum sequencing is decentralized. Then in the interest of efficiency and scaling, we moved uh, to rollups right now, which are all centrally sequenced. And then now, of course, we're trying to go back the other way. Um, and I think it's it's basically like trying to you know strike the balance where you move in the direction of performance first, and then you move in the performance of decentralization second, and then you end up at a you know a later equilibrium. Uh, you know then that that's better on both fronts than than what you had before. Um, specifically with regards to like the modular uh, like paradigm. I think decentralized decentralized sequencers are really important because this allows you to now plug in decentralization where you would have needed to previously build an entirely new network. Um, so, like you know, you could build a decentralized network using something like the Cosmos SDK. Now you needed to, but you know, you need to recruit a bunch of validators to your chain. You need to incentivize them somehow. Um, you need to make sure you have a token to incentivize those validators, which leads to inflation and maybe it limits your ability to design the protocol in the way that you want, limits your like business, uh, you know, timelines, like you'll need to launch a token at the same time you launch the network. There are all these like undesirable properties of doing something in like such a tightly coupled way. Now you can just plug into an existing uh, decentralized sequencer network like Espresso and main, you know, maintain all of those benefits. I think there's also a bit of a second uh, secondary effect here that encourages decentralization, not at the network level, but at like the sort of like social or like society level, where previously the only teams that could have the most decentralized systems were like Ethereum, right? Or like the top, the top chains. Those were the most decentralized. If you wanted to launch uh, a, a chain, you know, on Cosmos or something, that Cosmos chain will never be as decentralized um, at, or as legitimate as Ethereum. Now with like the modular stack, you're able to plug into that decentralized aspect of Ethereum or you know, in future, something like Espresso or, or both um, with, with our architecture. And that means that like, if you're this new chain, uh, it's a lot easier for you to convince other users and convince the community that you're aligned with those ecosystems and that you're sufficiently decentralized. Well, previously, that was really hard to do if you're trying to bootstrap your own network and prove to people that, that you're decentralized. And so we think for that reason, it's going to become a lot easier to start successful new chains. And so the, the total space, you can call it decentralization, you can call it maybe fragmentation, but we're going to end up in like a much more kind of multipolar decentralized world than we were before, just because we no longer have these like centralizing forces of, of trust at play. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, kind of it, it exponentially increases uh, each choice that you make in favor of just say like the good guys, which is just like choosing permissionless and uh, trustlessness every day. And like having that ethos in your in your blood, you know, and just kind of trying to build that, even if it does, even if it means less profitability. Unfortunately, the actually it's definitely not a bad thing. It's a great thing that bases make. I think they made over ten million dollars in revenue mm -hmm. last month from from Friend Tech. Like 
Yeah. And like what their their second month live, they made ten mil. What? So like the the possibilities of the, on the econom, on the economic side are wild, um, for for the, for the sequencers. But again, it's like that choice of um, of kind of the ethos. But I don't want to get too deep in, into decentralized sequencing uh, without talking about shared sequencing as well, uh, which is kind of like the big key thing with Expresso. Rob's got something though, so hold well, on one second. I want I want to piggyback on the on the base conversation because if we're if if we if we do like nudge systems in this in the direction of cent- of decentralization and base is currently bringing in 10 million dollars a month of re- in revenue per month with a centralized sequencer what what is the the economic decision that that they make to choose to keep the centralized or, or go decentralized is it is it just a matter of ethos versus like revenue that they're bringing in or is there a, a scenario where they can continue to bring in close to 10 million dollars in revenue each month but open up to a to a decentralized sequencer what what is the the trade-off of base specifically making that decision yeah so on on the technical level uh there's the these these decisions are actually very very separate like the fees that base chooses to charge to users um are completely separate from the fees that base needs to pay to ethereum or the you know, the integration of some shared sequencer uh, network or distributed sequencer network. Um, that ultimately is kind of set at like the protocol level uh, and base will still have control uh, over that that protocol as the developers of it. Um, and so base could decide, you know, tomorrow to like increase uh, the fees. They could decide to decrease the fees. Um, that on some level is like an arbitrary decision. Um, so the only thing that like a decentralized sequencer network like uh, integrating with Espresso or, or similar will, will do is like it will co- force them to incur um, increased costs because now they need to pay to have these transactions sequenced by that separate network. And typically, you know, submitting a transaction to a, ne- a network has some costs associated with it in crypto, although hopefully like the scalability properties of, of all these networks will keep those costs low. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, that base needs to change uh, how they charge users. Um, uh, which, which is, you know, another really great thing about like the modular stack and, and this architecture that a lot of these decisions are decoupled. Um, I will say like base, the way that a lot of these like OP stack chains uh, make money is that they don't deviate too far away from the standard set by optimism and, and to some extent arbitrum, which is to charge a little bit of like extra buffer, uh, it, you know, to account for uh, fee volatility um, on ethel one and because they, they add that buffer in expectation they tend to make money and so that's why you'll see those graphs on like dune analytics of like all the the roll of profits that all these sequencers make um and so i think the thing that will really motivate the decisions of these folks who are running large rollups is the extent to which the community cares about decentralization if it turns out that the community does care a lot about decentralization i think we're going to see new decentralized uh roll-ups uh, really eat into the market share of these existing players and kind of force their hand. Um, if that turns out not to be the case, uh, then I think we'll, we'll see a little bit of inertia um, from them moving, um, you, you know, to a decentralized sequencer network. But I think, you know, as things have typically played out in the Web3 space, like typically there is some pressure to, to decentralize over time. And, and I think the same pattern will play out uh, with rollups. Yeah, uh, to bring it to an analogy, like you had like the ETH killers versus ETH. Like mm-hmm. I'm, obviously, we hold ETH like a, a lot of people do, so perhaps bias, but like these L1s that were more centralized, in my opinion, have ultimately a lot of them, 90% plus of them have lost to mm-hmm. Ethereum who has kept its mind on like, it's as if there's a, this this organization of, of Ethereum has just kept its mind on that train of decentralization more so than, I don't even want to name, I don't even need to name one. There's tons, right? And so to that same regard that decentralization provides pressure in the same sense that like when Arbitrum came out, I was more keen to to deposit significant sums of capital into Arbitrum than I was to hold it on these other various L1s that were EVM compatible, but they had had side-chained architecture, low validator counts, different kind of various pros and cons. You're just like, Dude, at this point, like, obviously this Arbitrum chain is centralized, but it's better than everything else. And to to that extent, the same things is kind of going to happen here with the with 
the role is because from a user perspective with good enough education, it makes more security sense to be in a place where there's, where there's more decentralization. Um, there's usually more costs associated with that, or, or there sometimes has to be, or you know, there's innovative ways to get around that, but that is usually true. So I agree with that point. And yeah, I still want to tie in. So to that, to answer further on the base question, the changing to a decentralized sequencer, what does the current shared sequencer landscape look like from your lens? Um, and are teams implementing them? Are teams implementing you guys? Frankly, what do you guys even do from a high level for everybody who, who we haven't got there too much yet, but like, can you tell everybody what you guys do as well? But I know that shared sequencing is something that, that you're going to want to touch on. Yeah. So Caldera, we're the platform uh, to launch modular blockchains and all the infrastructure those blockchains need. So we're kind of like a one-stop shop for folks who are thinking about deploying their own rollups, whether those are like application-specific rollups or ecosystem-specific uh, rollups. They'll come to us, they'll log onto our platform or they'll hop on a call with us. They'll tell us what they need uh, on their rollup and we'll help them launch a chain. And so in the Web3 space, uh, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of really, really talented teams that don't have protocol developers or like distributed systems engineers or developer operations folks. And so it means like for like a lot of these teams that are looking to, to launch their own dedicated chain, they don't actually have a lot of the expertise in-house uh, to, to do that. They're really focused on like, smart contract development and developing a really great app and, you know, front end and user interface. And so we help abstract basically all the concerns that aren't those two things away from them so they can focus on uh, building, building their app uh, without needing to get into the nitty gritty of like protocol engineering, um, uh, you know, in, in deploying their own rollup. Um, yeah, that's sick. That's such a, sorry to interrupt real quick. It's just a great business idea. We pivoted to the rollup like last, not last minute, but you know, like six, eight months ago. Similarly, just kind of like understanding the the trend and then having like the, like the DevOps. Yeah, it's sweet. And you you guys then have a host of shared sequencers and, and sequencers that you allow these chains to come in or these, or these teams to come and build upon and then use. Yeah, so we aim to be like the hub for all of this modular infrastructure. As I'm sure you guys know, you know, as users of chains, like when you're when you uh, want to like onboard onto a chain, just having like a chain existing there is not like the only thing you need, right? You need developer tooling, you need bridging, you need common infrastructure, right? Like the graph, data providers, NFT marketplaces, right? Dexes, etc. And so we aggregate over basically all of the the top teams uh, in the space. We we help those uh, are the new chains that are deployed with us integrate. With those teams and so that you know all the stuff i mentioned kind of exists above the stack uh uh that, that we operate on right the graph index series marketplace etc but we also integrate with a lot of partners kind of below the stack um or, or like at the the level of the roll-up stack and like those two things are mostly da and sequencing um so on the da front um you know right now most roll-ups that are built on ethereum they post data directly to ethereum as with anything on ethereum that is super super expensive um, definitely uh, good for certain use cases and really doesn't work for a lot of other use cases, especially high throughput ones like gaming and social. And so we uh, allow the rollups uh, that are built with us to, to launch with uh, Celestia DA, for example. Eventually we'll integrate the other top providers like Eigen, uh, maybe Avail, et cetera, um, to like radically reduce costs on their chain. Uh, and then of course we will also offer a litany of like shared sequencer options. So right now we, we have two options. You can use a centralized sequencer model, like the, the same model that Arbitrum, Optimism, ZK saying everybody else is using, or you can integrate with the Espresso sequencer. Um, but eventually we want to uh, offer integrations with every credible uh, shared sequencer network. And we really see ourselves as like the top of funnel for a lot of these folks who are building uh, lower in the stack than we are to like gain access to like all the developers who are actually looking to deploy their own roles. And you, you hit on the, the centralized and the decentralized uh, sequencer models. Mm -hmm. um, so can you touch a bit more on the, on the shared, the shared sequencer model? And then, yeah. and then also like, what are, what are the ethical trade-offs and then the economic trade-offs for choosing a, a shared sequencer? Taking a quick commercial break here to tell you guys about our lovely sponsors. Right before we get back to this fascinating discussion, we have a message from our current sponsors. Here we go. I want to take a moment to introduce you to our sponsor, Premia Finance. 
Premier is a native options protocol that offers market-driven pricing and capital-efficient returns for traders and liquidity providers. With Premier, you can trade options on a variety of different crypto assets. Well, what sets Premium apart is its unique pricing mechanism, which is based on the market's expectation of future volatility. This means that options prices are always in line with market conditions, which provides traders with the most fair and transparent pricing. Recently, Premium has just launched their Options Academy, where you can learn for free how to become a proficient options trader. Uh, feel free to check it out at premium.finance. Um, hedge your risks or amplify your positions um, to earn more capital efficient returns on premium finance. Thank you. And another exciting sponsor to introduce you is Plan of Finance. I've recently uh, been onboarded as an advisor for Plan of Finance, which is one of the first self-custodial wallets to support account abstraction. With Plan of Finance, you can revolutionize your crypto experience and take control of your assets like never before. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple wallets. Hello to a seamless, user-friendly experience. Plan of Finance allows you to easily manage your assets, swap tokens, and earn rewards all in one place on your mobile phone. They have an app in the Apple App Store as well as in the Google Play Store. Uh, with Plan of Finance's self-custodial wallet, you hold the keys to your assets, ensuring the highest level of security and privacy. With tons of cool features like gasless trading, um, interesting yield competitions, and cool NFTs, there's an amazing amount of effort going into building this app that already has tens of thousands of users. So what are you waiting for? Download Plan of Finance today and experience the future of crypto wallets. Yeah, so I, the way I think about this is like there are two axes. Um, on which to like talk about sequencers, there's centralized to decentralized and then like shared, I guess, to like not shared. And so typically there's like a bit of a conflation between these two terms, um, but but they, they do technically mean different things. So a shared sequencer is, uh, it means, you know, at the base level that like the sequencer you're using is also being used by other rollups and, and other chains. And so something like decentral, uh, like, like Espresso is both decentralized and shared, but you could uh, have, and some people are definitely working on this, like centralized but shared sequencers where you're still centralized you're still sequencing the chains in a centralized way but you're sequencing multiple different uh chains and that's and can i can i interrupt with yeah. kind of like a comment but also a question like that that dynamic that architecture sounds the most economically sound the centralized and shared model sounds yeah. like i can centralize my my operations keep costs low and then i can also provide this for multiple different networks at once because it's shared and and again split costs even further is that is that kind of like a uh accurate uh mental leaves model you with for the surplus too rob these shares you with cash and others a so, centralized yeah. no no that's yeah, okay like, so yeah like you, i think you're right no, i mean yeah matt uh yeah yeah um yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think you're you're correct um so yeah, you, you do get to split split the costs of like multiple chains all into one sequencer. Um, another benefit you get is, is interoperability, where like now that when all when all these chains are, are sequenced by the same sequencer, you do get some interoperability benefits. Um, it makes it easier to do atomic swaps across chains, etc. Uh, because you know one way to kind of model it out is like once you have a completely shared sequencer between multiple chains, there's actually very little difference between that on a technical level and treating all of those distinct chains as kind of like one chain. And so you, you get like big benefits of like atomicity um, between those chains uh, as, as well. So yeah, a lot of really nice properties. And I think, I think you're, you're correct that like, if you're going at this from a pure economic standpoint, like yeah. you get all the interop benefits um, uh, by doing it that way. And you don't need to deal with the costs of running a decentralized network or plugging into a decentralized network as you would with decentralized sequencing. And what do you do with the surplus? What are all these rollups doing with, with the surplus of like, what is base doing with this? Who knows what, like, what's, is, is that to be distributed to token holders, to team, to DAO, like, like, and with Caldera, I guess, what's the, what's the economic model for the surplus left over after, and for those who are a little bit uh, new to like the, the, the DA side of things, DA is like some, some of the most expensive um, operation, as you're saying, Matt. So you know, you've got the user fees minus basically DA costs, and then you get money left over. Yeah, I think the great thing about rollups is that it's up to each individual chain to decide what they do with that surplus. 
So there will be chains that just treat it as profit. There will be chains that use it to fund some grants program. There will be chains that try to minimize it. Uh, right now, like very few rollups are trying to minimize it, but they basically can decide to right? set a target of like $0 uh, profit. Um, and then there, there are going to be chains that try to uh, find some novel mechanism to redistribute this funds, uh, th these funds, right? Or maybe they'll like stake it and use it as like an endowment for the chain to you know, ensure that, that the chain can be continually operated and provide stronger guarantees for their users over long periods of time. I think right now, um, there's very little focus uh, on this. Uh, I think people have just started really talking about the surplus within the last three to six months. As you mentioned, part of it, I think motivated by Frentech's major success on base. Um, but because there's now a ton of uh, interest in just like what gets done with these like massive piles of money, I think we're, we're going to see a lot of innovation more on like the business side and the economic side, of just like how those funds end up being used. And it will be just like one of, you know, many other ways that rollups differentiate from each other. Public goods, man. I'm sure a lot of them are going to use public goods. Totally. Um, use it. It's like, it's like, it's like a business. It makes me smile because it's still a self-fulfilling prophecy of a business. If you think about it in a sense. However, uh, with innovation, more real, real use cases, more real users, quote unquote, and bigger communities. I mean, rollups are a business model in a sense. And so like that, that's a big step for crypto um, and for like this entire industry to, to think about things like, oh, we have a surplus. And I think, yeah, it's going to be a cool differentiating factor to see public goods or who's more capitalistic and profit taking just kind of gets rich off creating a rollup or kind of who... Does, like and then there's gonna I'm sure there's gonna be interesting roll up stories of people doing bad things or good like it's just gonna be mm -hmm. interesting you can see it developing right now there's a couple dozen roll ups right now maybe maybe I think probably maybe maybe less but probably I'd say a couple dozen dude in six to twelve months there's gonna be like fifteen hundred or a thousand we're gonna be like what just happened so yeah this is gonna be very interesting to see what what happens yeah that's all I got. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and uh, I, I think you had a really good point there as well, uh, with just like, you know, this being kind of like a new form of business model. So actually one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons we're seeing projects come to us and want to de de deploy a rollup is like, it's really rare in crypto to find like defensible, sustainable business models. Almost everyone relies on Pontinomics or like inflation, just like any, something that just like can't be sustained over time. The roll-up business model is actually really, really clean. You're, it's effectively just like a usage-based pricing model, but right? you're, you're taking a per, you know a percentage of, of transaction fees. You're taking some like it's like a cost plus model, right, for the application. Um, and so we're seeing, you know, I think a lot of applications take Frentech for example, right, like like they will probably in the future maybe move to their own chain because they'll be able to internalize a lot of that revenue, and their users are going to want them to internalize that revenue and you know, allow that to fund development. Um, and so it's another, you know, it's another reason why I think we're going to see, as you said, like 1500, tens of thousands, millions of rollups in, in the near future. Yeah, I think that unlocks this, this, this new narrative we're seeing play out as well, which is app chains, mm -hmm. um, right? Which is like, I, th I think you make a great point about like the consideration that friend tech is probably, is probably thinking about where, well, what if we do launch our own app chain? Why, why should we, or why should we not? And kind of like, it would be fun to play out kind of that hypothetical situation of like, you know, we're in this boardroom round table conversation where the three C-suite executives of friend tech and we're choosing whether or not to launch an app chain. Like, do we, do we launch it, you know, with our own sequencer? Do we outsource it to Espresso and Caldera so that we operate at like a, at like a zero cost basis? We're able to get high scale at relatively no cost and then just recoup the, the friend tech fees and, and redistribute those friend tech fees right to our friend tech users and to our friends. Like what, you know, what, what are some of the considerations that, uh, you know, a higher up at friend tech might be thinking about when they're, when they're considering these, these moves. Yeah. The biggest trade-off that everyone needs to, to think about when they're making, uh, when they're deciding whether to launch on a general purpose chain or to launch an app chain or an app rollup, um, is whether they get more out of, the network effects of launching on some general purpose chain or like, you know, do they get more from those network effects or will they eventually profit more or, or get more freedom from launching their own chain? And of course, you know, in the life cycle of every successful project, there will be a time when like that project crosses the threshold when you're early and you're new and you're completely unproven, 
right? Like Frentech got a lot as a new project from launching on base. There's a ton of liquidity there. Users already had funds on that chain. Like they, uh, you know, it allowed them to grow super quickly to just have a captive audience of folks who are looking to try new applications on base. But event, like we've seen what that costed them, right? If they're able to replicate that user growth on their, their own chain, it would have, you know, would have been a little bit more painful, maybe a little bit more friction, but it costed them, you know, $10 million, right? And, and the, those costs are going to increase. So the biggest uh, thing that I think those teams, teams need to think about, every team, it'll be a little bit different. There are going to be uh, protocols like, you know, Uniswap, where like they get a ton of benefit from being on a general purpose chain where like they interoperate with all these other uh, protocols and are very tightly integrated um, with, with other applications um, where, where those network effects are really strong. There are other things like games where those network effects I think are pretty weak. Maybe the NFTs will go onto OpenSea or something, but they don't need a ton of interoperability with the, uh, the rest of the, the network. And so there's, there's that consider consideration and there's also like the profit side of things. How, uh, how much money can, can you make by, by launching your own chain? And we've actually, for a lot of the folks we talk to, um, when trying to sell them, like we'll do this calculation uh, with teams and a lot of teams, like they don't realize how much money they could be making if they launch their, their protocols and app chain. And you think about all the amount of money folks are spending on optimism, Arbitrum, mainnet Ethereum, like even if you're able to capture a small piece of that, it, it gets really substantial very quickly. Yeah, when the roll-up chain, the roll-up media education, mm -hmm. good vibes chain totally yeah you guys should, should seriously think about it we are working on a roll-up stack for now but that is under wraps got it Let, let's say we were going to 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 you know let's say we we said yeah like the roll-up chain mm -hmm. and what you know kind of sitting sitting in between a lot of these intersecting technologies like what what do you suggest for in this case the roll-up or or any other project that's launching their own, their own network and their own chain. Uh, like what, what do you, yeah. Like what, what do you suggest as far as like a first pass or like a, just generally, generally curious, you know, like as far as the considerations and then the, the, uh, steps to launch your own chain. Yeah. So we definitely uh, recommend teams that are thinking about this to talk to a provider like us. Um, they, you know, we've done, uh, a ton of work in like evaluating different roll-up stacks uh, and like figuring out the most efficient way, the most cost-effective way, the most secure and reliable way to run those roll-up stacks. Um, and we abstract away, as I said, like basically needing to, like if you guys were, were trying to, you know, launch your own chain, you would need to hire like a DevOps team, a protocol engineering team, um, you know, potentially uh, like a front-end team to work on things. Like we uh, abstract away needing to hire like three different teams uh, from the folks who are thinking about launching a roll-up. Um, so generally, like in the abstract, uh, I think it makes sense to go with an infrastructure provider like us or, or one of our competitors, I guess, uh, in order to like think through these decisions, just because we've found that we, we've taken like time to market from, you know, what could potentially be years uh, down to like weeks to months. Um, in terms of like the actual like base layer rollup stack, um, we think in general, like the existing rollup stacks today, uh, they cover most use cases really well. Um, and I think for a lot of the folks who are looking to, uh, to launch their, their own chain, they're not looking to make like protocol level, uh, innovation. They're looking to make like social or like business or, or app level innovation. And so for those folks, I would say go with like a tried and true stack, OP stack, the Arbitrum stack, uh, potentially some of the new like ZK EVM stacks, like, uh, like ZK sync, Polygon ZK EVM, like those are all relatively, uh, easy to come to an infrastructure provider like us and ask us to deploy. And those are going to like cover, you know, 95% of use cases really, really well. Um, and then between those stacks, it comes down to like specific features, uh, which community you feel more aligned with, ZK versus optimistic, kind of cost profile you want the chain to have. There are like a lot of micro decisions, but, you know, at a macro level, it's like, it, it always makes sense to go with the most reliable software. So cool. So cool. No wonder there's going to be 10,000 rollups. You've just, you've just closed Rob and I on three minute conversation. <laughs> no, I'm just messing around, but, but, um, yeah, very, very interesting thought process to be having from a DAP perspective, especially if you start to look at things from a, yeah, just from the economic business cost and, uh, liquidity slash composability needs perspective. It's like, do you really need to be in a general purpose execution environment? Like, are you sure? 
Um, but very, very cool stuff. Um, I know that you mentioned what's happening with uh, the Espresso team. And I just wanted to briefly touch on that, that update um, one last time here. So you guys are working on an optimistic uh, decentralized shared sequencer set. So fill us in on kind of like how that looks like you and Expresso are partners in a sense or are, are collaborators in this model of where they use, you use their sequence, sequencers in your stack of deliverables, kind of what, what is going on with Expresso? What's this announcement? Yeah. Like how does that kind of look? Yeah. So Espresso, their bread and butter is, is this uh, shared sequencer network. So they've built out all the software for the network itself. And that network acts uh, as the sequencer for transactions. So users can submit transactions to that network. That network will order those transactions, basically package them up into blocks. And that, like, that ordering will be considered the canonical ordering of the roll-up chain. And so that's a network that, you know, completely handles that piece of the, the modular puzzle. Um, that being said, like that is just a piece of the puzzle. Um, and the biggest unlock for a network like that is to get integrated with the popular rollup stacks I mentioned. Um, so that user, like, I guess not even users necessarily, but like developers and the people who are launching new rollups can easily plug into that network. And that's where we come in, in that collaboration. We helped Espresso uh, integrate that, uh, their, uh, their, their infrastructure, their shared sequencer network into the OP stack. Um, so now we have a really tight integration with the OP stack there. Uh, and we also hosted uh, a testnet for that OP stack um, on our infrastructure. And so we're enabling it, you know, we're enabling users now to go check out that testnet, request funds from the faucet, submit a transaction, and that transaction will now go to the Espresso sequencer, um, will be sequenced by them, and then we'll come to the OP stack node for for like final submission um, and processing. And so that collaboration, uh, we're handling a lot of like some of the software implementation and the infrastructure uh, on the, the rollup node, and they're managing the software development and the infrastructure on the separate uh, shared sequencer network that the node is plugging into. And do they have anything live on mainnet? Sorry. Yeah, they do not. Um, they're currently in testnet mode. Um, so early. So early. We are so early to the rollup wars. It feels like early DeFi days, and it's just hitting me so hard on this pod right now. Oh, man. This, I have a bunch more questions and I know we're like coming up on somewhat of time. So I, I'm going to save my, my decentralized sequencer question for perhaps a conversation with Espresso about how to actually like participate in those, in those sequencings and, and earn as a result. Um, so I guess like the question I would like to ask is um, kind of like uh, you, you helped Espresso integrate into the OP stack so that when new rollups deploy using the OP stack, they utilize this shared espresso sequencer. So is there, is there a difference between using like the Caldera stack or like if I was to use the OP stack and I would get espresso as used as, as a part of that. Um, and let's say, you know, there's, let, let's say you have a future, you have a future uh, partnership with Celestia or Eigenlayer and you help integrate those data availability solutions into the OP stack. Does, does coming to the OP stack, given that I, I have access to Espresso and, and Celestia kind of give me access to everything I might, I might need in terms of infrastructure or what else is out there that Caldera can, can loop into the equation? Yeah. So Caldera, like we are mostly focused on hosting these existing stacks. That means we do a lot of protocol development on those stacks. That includes, um, uh, like what you mentioned, the Celestia integration, the uh, Espresso integration. We did that in collaboration with those teams. Um, it also includes a lot of other things, just nice improvements for like reliability, for security, um, for making it easier to deploy these stacks in the cloud. I would say if there is to be anything like a Caldera stack, um, the, what I would define like most of our proprietary work uh, being as like increasing the, the customizability um, of uh, of uh, like these roll-up stacks that exist. So previously it would be pretty difficult if you wanted to, uh, you know, let's say do uh, a network with like um, 
all these like let's say custom pre-compiles and a custom gas token and using celestia for da we have created interfaces that allow those customization points to be really quick where you know they're effectively just like toggles rather than you needing to do like a ton of work on the back end um plus uh you, you know just these additional like integrations with other infrastructure providers um we we're not focused on building our own proprietary stack that is super capital intensive takes a really long time and there are like all these amazing teams that have done this really well uh, for us already so all of our work is mostly on the infrastructure and customizability side and at, like we started this podcast you can you can do a lot of good business by bundling up these pre-existing good good infrastructure mm -hmm. um, you're either a bundler or an unbundler um, and caldera bundles together some of the best web3 infrastructure available totally 100 percent Matt, I think we could go on for hours, but um, I th the good news is the DeFi world will just provide us with another thing to talk about in like less than a week or two or three. And then there's another big announcement and then there's more to, to go on. But to summarize here for all of our listeners and um, just everybody who's interested in rollups, uh, there's definitely pros and cons for uh, centralized and decentralized sequencers using Caldera to um, jumpstart your own chain experience um, definitely seems to be a uh, you know a, a conversation willing to be had right Matt and um, just you know the technology with the shared sequencers Expresso coming on uh, live on mainnet soon hopefully testnet now mm -hmm. the absolute cusp of this world that we're about to embark on in 2024 with rollups is it, it, this is this is going to be awesome and yeah I just want to say thanks Matt again for coming on and um, yeah, Rob, any closing thoughts? <laughs> it's a, it's been a pleasure, Matt, I'll kick it over to you. Any closing thoughts or anything else you'd like to share? Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll echo uh, Andy's enthusiasm. It's, it's palpable and we feel the exact same thing, uh, super early days. Uh, but I think we're at like the, the, the point where we figured out how to do a lot of the, the table stakes things. Like we know how to run rollups. There are all these folks who have built really great software in the space. And now we're just waiting for the Cambrian explosion to happen of all this new innovation and all these new chains. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and yeah, if I could chill Caldera a little bit, um, would encourage everyone to check out our website, caldera.xyz, uh, or our Twitter at calderaxyz, um, especially for teams or developers who are looking to like launch their own chain. We'd love to speak with them. I think the folks who we work with have found us to, at the very least, be genuinely quite helpful in helping them think through stacks and think through these technical architecture decisions whether they end up launching a rollup or not. So we, we love to chat with builders. If any of them are, are listening, please get in touch. Thanks for coming on, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. See ya. Thanks. Cool. Thanks for listening to the DeFi by Design podcast. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors for their support. Please check them out in the links below, as well as on our website and in our newsletter. We'll be back with more exciting guests and insights. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep designing the future of DeFi.